Welcome in to Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up on episode 245 of Tailgate, doing our NFL Week 7 preview. Going to preview all the games, give our picks against the spread for each game, our college football prospect primer, head of college football Week 8, mailback episode, answer some listener questions, and then also interviews with Cincinnati cornerback Ahmad Gardner, Sauce Gardner, if you will, and then South Carolina edge defender Kingsley Ignacbari, who was absolutely phenomenal on the show today. Make sure to tune in at the back end of the show. Let's get it. Mike, how many times have we discussed this rumor? Deshaun Watson getting traded. Now it's apparently from John McClain, who's been a longtime beat writer for the Houston Texans in the Houston area. It could get done as soon as this week. It's something that they want to get done before the November 2nd trade deadline. Washington's in the mix. Miami's in the mix. Denver is in the mix. What are you making of these rumors and how accurate do you feel like they are? Yeah, this is the most smoke, shall we say, that we've seen at any point in time. Like there are people have been reporting Watson possibly going to the Dolphins this week. Watson, you know, the talks are there and, and I'm sure they have been, but this is the first time where it's like Texans beat reporter, Dolphins reporters, other reporters, even in Denver and uh, Washington talking about Tua landing spots there. So I said it after, you know, the Tua injury after all, you know, him looking pretty sorry the first couple of weeks i said they were going for deshaun watson i said it was going to happen they could not let this roster that is very good a good all-around roster outside of obviously the offensive line wallow to a terrible record and so i think the moves the writing is on the wall shit by the time this comes out it's recording wednesday night it may be done yeah, that's fair. I think, do you feel Wash, or Miami is the best fit for Watson in terms of him having success? Whew, that's a good question. I mean, he's not playing this year, right? Like, I, the NFL hasn't come down with any suspensions, but I have to believe that. So they, they He's not even on the exempt list, though. No, not yet. I, that's why I said the NFL hasn't come down with anything so far in terms of suspensions for his sexual assault allegations. But I'm guessing he's not playing this year, and then you get an offseason to rebuild the offensive line, and they obviously have the receiving talent there in Jalen Waddell, Devontae Parker, to where, yeah, I, I think that is a very good spot for him to see. I mean, Denver would be too. There, mm -hmm. there are other spots that would, but I do think he would immediately transform that offense when he does play again, if he does play again. Yeah, I mean, I think any of those three teams are good landing spots. I think that's the biggest reason why all three are rumored there. They all have good rosters. Denver, a great defense. Yeah. Washington, you know, what was to believe to be a good defense, regardless, still a very talented mm -hmm. one in Miami, has some of the receiving talent, really just like an offensive line away from even being at least more competent yeah. than you obviously factored Deshaun Watson in the mix. The more intriguing conversation here to me is Tua going to a different spot because Tua goes from an Alabama offensive line where he's just never under pressure to now a, we've said it, a bottom five offensive line in the NFL where that ball's not out of his hand. He's not getting to his second, third, where he's getting smoked. So Denver has a fairly good offensive line. Washington has at least a better offensive line, you know, when Sam Cosby does come back healthy than Miami to where I think he has a better situation to succeed for who he is in either of those two spots. And those are two spots that, like I said, they could have addressed quarterback position in last year's draft. You know, Denver could have drafted Justin Fields. The uh, Washington could have traded up for Justin Fields or whatnot that you're getting a guy who is a top five pick who 
is just coming off a catastrophic injury who has looked good at times. Shit, look good this past weekend against the yeah. Jaguars, honestly, to where that would be a massive W, in my opinion, for either of those two teams. Depending on what the cost is, I guess I'm guessing the cost wouldn't be that exorbitant, though, given that they High can't. High day they, two pick, right? They, they can't, yeah, it probably would be something like that, like a second rounder, given the fact that Miami's can't just keep him on the roster behind Sean Watson. That's not something they're going to be doing. What do you think ultimately is the compensation for Watson? I know a lot of people have said three first-round picks, three second-round picks. Do you ultimately yeah. think it gets to that level? Uh, I'll be curious to see because, what, they don't have their own first-round pick next year. And I think they're kind of making this move to say, you know, what's more embarrassing as a franchise, giving up what could be a top-five pick or trading for, an, you know, multiple accused sex offender uh that that's so, that's something they have to that's something they have to weigh on each hand here because that's the situation they're in they are one in five right now yeah they have the number two overall pick that they're giving away to the eagles right now because of the trade they made for jalen waddle uh they will be getting the it's the 49ers pick that they are getting in next year's draft correct yeah okay so they're getting the 49ers pick that's still going to be a, a probably a quality pick somewhere in the middle of the first round but that's probably what it would take. It'd probably take, I think at this point, maybe just a first. I don't think it's going to be too much more than a first, honestly, because there's just not landing spots. Like, there's not teams willing yeah. to make a trade for that guy right There's now. also a lot of unknown, right? I think a lot of yeah. the conversation has to be like, what does Miami, Washington, Denver know? What's their confidence level in Deshaun Watson ever playing yeah. football again? When is he going to come off the exempt list? How big is this suspension going to be? Does he even play in 2022? You know, because there is a situation where maybe he. You know, doesn't yeah. play in 2021, is adds to the exempt list, and then when all this stuff breaks down, he's found guilty or whatever, then he doesn't he's just suspended for a full season in 2022. So I do think I'd be interested to hear more about what is concrete or you know where what's the confidence level in him actually playing again or what this verdict will be when obviously they go to court and all that stuff. Yeah, so. I mean it's gonna take a GM whose ass is up against it, honestly, because that's the only reasonable way I could like if you're George Patton and you just took on a new GM role you can't go make a play like that for Deshaun Watson you'd be crazy to like it could backfire on you so quickly with your fan base it could backfire on you so quickly on the football field so that that it's going to take a GM that really needs to right the ship and right the ship quickly will be interesting to follow before we get into the NFL week seven preview I want to mention this you can go to pff.shop.com grab tailgate apparel we got some brand new hats for like 11 different schools Kentucky I think we have Bama, we got Texas A&M, a bunch of cool schools, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. Definitely check that out. And if you're going to PFF.com, subscribe to PFF.com using promo code TAILGATE. Help support the podcast, bring the podcast up, and so forth. You can get 25% off any PFF subscription with promo code TAILGATE on PFF.com. Shop.PFF.com. Shop.PFF.com. I always say it the wrong way, huh? PFF.shop. It's shop.PFF.com. Go support the pod. Go down the gear. You love to see it. Thursday Night Football is where we'll start. Made the headlines today. Baker Mayfield will not play in this one. Case Keenum will start for the Cleveland Browns. That line opened at three in favor of the home team. Browns favored by three. It's now all the way down to one and a half. If you are an elite subscriber, you know PFF still sees value on Keenum and the Browns. They saw value at three, value at two, and they still see value at one and a half, both the spread and the money line. There's also some question marks with whether Teddy Bridgewater will play. Yeah. He's questionable on the injury report as well. This is going to be, regardless of what you're betting, kind of an ugly, ugly Thursday night football game. The total, I think, is close to 41. Going to be a gross level of incompetence on both sides of the ball from an offensive perspective. Yeah, I don't really, like, I'm not realistically going to bet this. When you have two backup quarterbacks, that's just the amount of variance there. You're fucking flipped a coin at that point. Which one's going to play well? 
I, I will say, though, if I had to, I'd probably lean the Browns in this yeah. scenario. I think the Broncos just kind of in free fall, and then Drew Locke against that defense doesn't sound like something I really want to bet on. Case Keenum, much more of a game manager. I don't think he's going to throw the game away. They're going to run. and still going to run. That, that off, offense is going to run whenever they want. Now, obviously, uh, may, Nick Chubb may not play as well, but it's – a lot of injuries in this one to really no, factor he won't play. into. Yeah, he won't play. Okay, yeah, he won't play. So you, a lot of injuries factoring. Cream Hunt's out as well. So you have a lot of injuries factor into this game that, shit, I mean, if you're betting this one, you are, like I said, flipped a coin. You're dirty, though. If you're yeah. betting this one, you're you're playing the gross game. I think you're better off looking at player props and maybe the over for Ernest Johnson, who's the running back expected to start in Chubb and Hunt's place. You know, they could be without Jack Conklin, who's questionable. Jarvis Landry is still on the injured reserve with the designation to return. Clowney questionable in this game. Like Odo Beckham Jr. Questionable. There could be a lot of injuries that impact this spread. I don't think this take is made enough. You know, when you do these preview shows, the NFL podcast does one. Obviously, the forecast does one. Two podcasts here at PFF. You don't have to say bet every game. Yeah. Like, no, don't, yeah, we, like, don't we bet every on this game. game. Yeah. But we'll say, like, they're... Uh, every I would not realistically bet, bet this game yeah. knowing that there are so many injuries on both sides. Teddy Bridgewater questionable with a foot. Garrett Bowles questionable with a knee injury. Like, there is so much that could go wrong. Where PFF sees value, though, on the Browns, both from the spread and the money line. And there's also value on the under, even at 41 and a half. Likely speaking to some of the incompetence we might see at the quarterback position. On to the 1 o'clock slate on Sunday. Football team going to Lambeau. Packers favored by 8.5. Big spread against the football team. Where are you leaning? It's a good week to get David Bakhtiari back. I'll just say that. He was out of practice on Wednesday. Believe he's set to play. That'll be huge for the Green Bay Packers. I have to, I, I have to lean them at this point. Uh, obviously, the the quarterback position, Taylor Heineke, has been a mess. I don't see him taking advantage of those injuries in that Green Bay Packers secondary and just the back end of this football team. like the fo Their secondary is just consistently a nightmare. Um, and like I said, getting David Bakhtiari back, I have confidence in at least holding up. That means you're helping out an interior line position, kicking Elton Jenkins inside the guard to go up against guys like Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. And so I think if Aaron Rodgers has any semblance of time, they're lighting up this defense a little bit. Yeah, the eight and a half is a big number. A big I think I would rather bet football team plus eight and a half. If football team was at home, I think going to Green Bay is definitely a massive factor. I also think Green Bay is the healthier team, even with Jairo Alexander and Marquez Valdez-Scantling out. You look at the Washington football team, Jonathan Allen questionable, Terry McLaurin questionable, Sam Cosme, Brandon Scherf, Curtis Samuel, Ricky Seals-Jones. This team is also questionable with a lot of injuries, and they have way less solid or you know way less confidence at the quarterback position than Rodgers does. I think the eight and a half reflects that. I'd lean Green Bay here too. PFF Green Line does not see a value on this game. Total listed at 49. No value on that game either. If I was going to side anywhere there, I'd lean the under. But I'm going to side with Green Bay at eight and a half, but I would not be surprised if this is a backdoor cover situation. Mm. Like I think Green Bay is going to control this game win this football game handily, and at the end you could see you know, Washington sneak yeah. within eight and a half, but never actually be in this game. Yeah, I don't love it being that big, I will say, but had pick one, I would still lean Packers. Yeah. All right, Chiefs at Titans. Titans are five and a half point dogs at home. Chiefs, they need a get-right game like they need air to breathe. And I know they were coming off a win against the football team, but not a lot of people have confidence in this Chiefs team being like legitimate Super Bowl contenders. More people are talking about the Bills in the AFC. I mean, before the Baker Mayfield injury, people were talking the Browns in a lot of ways. I mean, Baltimore Ravens are talked about more positively right now. The Chiefs, not nearly talked about as positively. And a lot of that is that defense. It's still the worst defense in the NFL. 
and struggling to overcome that. And I think going against the Titans here, five and a half, I think I lean Titans. Yeah, it. I would probably lean Chiefs if you could tell me for sure Chris Jones is going to be back and healthy. But with that wrist injury still hampering him, not 100% going to play, and even if he does, may not be 100% when he does play. That, that gets me interested in the Titans at home. They're a good football team, and a five-and-a-half-point dog is a good football team at home. Is just, And especially one that is the best rushing team in the NFL. Yeah. Not, uh, maybe not the best rushing team in the NFL. Maybe getting ahead of myself there. But they have Derrick Henry. They have the best running running back in the NFL. And the thought of Daniel Sorensen trying to tackle Derrick Henry is is leading me in a big, big way towards the Titans on this, on this line. And, and just having watched the Chiefs defense as a whole try to tackle. Yeah, I, I am leading to the Titans. I'm not sure that's saying they necessarily win, but again, five and a half is a big number for a home team. I do have to say, though, I laugh about the, we always tweet out the yards after contact stat for Derrick Henry. He has 51 more carries than any running back in the NFL. Wow. Almost 10 carries per game, more than the next closest running back in the NFL. That is insane. So to only be six weeks in and just have him be that far out on his own as the as uh, you know RB1 is just kind of speaks to how much of a unicorn that guy is. 100%. And I think, I mean, bell cow backs in general are kind of unicorns. It's more common to see like every backfield around the NFL is splitting carries. And also there's injuries that's involved. Like he's been a juggernaut just staying healthy with the amount of volume he does see. Derrick Henry going to be, I think, a big difference maker in this one. He was against them you know, in the, in the last game they played against the Bills. And I think they'll continue to be. Oh, did we never talk about everyone on TV about um, that guy saying, you know, the reason the, the reason the Bills or Bills didn't win that game was because Taylor Wan got hurt. Oh, yeah, we did That's not. Rough. Chris that Broussard. Chris Broussard, who is, I don't know why he's talking NFL to begin with. He's like a basketball insider, NBA insider. But if you haven't seen the clip, it was all over Twitter, I believe, on uh, Tuesday. That was just him talking about Dawkins, who he doesn't know who that is. But if if Taylor Lewan was in the game for the Bills, that they would have converted that fourth down uh, sneak. What What's funny about that clip, and I honestly feel bad for him in that situation, because you I can know. imagine that ESPN puts some of the, or I don't know if it's ESPN, but Bruce Hart, was on Fox. Yeah, Fox puts these guys in a situation where like you have to talk about everything, you have to talk about everything, and like this guy's obviously underprepared, but trying to be confident, trying to create good TV, and he says that. I think the worst thing is, is that. Even if Lewan was in there, the reason they didn't get it is because Josh Allen slipped. Like I don't think Dawkins yeah. had any factor in that at all, whether it was Dawkins it was or fucking bit, like, Orlando Pace. But yeah, but it was it, it was an all around comedic performance. You know, like the, those shows are hot garbage. I remember I can't hate on it because I watch First Take literally every single day of college. But my God, they are they are it's a soap opera. It's not actual. If you want to talk about football, that is not where you should be doing yeah. it. I mean, it's all polarizing conversation stuff to get, yeah. you know, big reactions. And a lot of it's dramatized. I mean, that's what, you know, Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, these guys are dramatized on TV because it makes good TV because people do watch that. People do care yeah. about that. I mean, if you're like actually into the X's and O's and want to like learn more, I definitely think there are other channels for that. Good news for the Titans is uh, they signed Bobby Hart today. So... All that's secured huge. on the offensive that is line. Huge. That is yeah, huge. Cincinnati Bengals legend. Yep. To be Tyree, of honor. Bobby Hart could probably still block whatever the Chiefs are throwing out on the defense line. Wow. Tyree Kill also questionable in this game with a quad injury. Chris Jones, like you said, questionable with a wrist. And then also Lucas Niang still questionable with a hamstring injury. I like the Titans plus five and a half. And we talked about with the Browns, you know, that's a game that you don't want to bet. I think I, I'm excited to bet Titans plus five and a half. I'm excited yeah. to root for the unicorn that is Derrick Henry. Falcons, Dolphins. Dolphins are two and a half point 
dogs at home. And man, with the rumors around Tua Tungavailoa, Deshaun Watson, they're dogs to the Falcons at home. This is a tough line for me because this is essentially that it's under that key number, Mike, under that key number three. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially saying just it's a money line bet. Yeah, it's a money line bet, essentially. And if you do you think the Falcons are going to win or the Dolphins? I think the Dolph- I mean, I thought prior to the two time with low trade news that it would be the Rumors. Dolphins. Rumors. That it would be the Dolphins. So obviously hold off for that if you will bet the Dolphins. Um, but I, I think. One, if the Dolphins' O-line is ever going to show up, it's against this Falcons' defensive line. Um, and two, they're just like the much better defense at this point in time to where they're at home playing Falcons' team. I, if two is healthy, they should be the better team. So I lean them as a dog, especially in this case. But again, obviously, if two is moved and you're starting Jacoby Brissett, that's a different story. And, and Jacoby Brissett's also you know, on the injury report, questionable with a hamstring injury. If they trade Tua Tungvaluwa before this game, they got to throw this guy in. It's definitely all hands on deck betting the Atlanta Falcons. Greenline also sees a 2% edge on the on the Falcons, both against the spread and on the money line. I'm leaning Dolphins, so too. I do think that Tua Tungvaluwa, I think both offensively and defensively, the Miami Dolphins are a better football team than the Atlanta Falcons, at least how far so far have they been this season. And also the Falcons are battling injuries and trying to come back from some stuff as well. I think Miami is a two-and-a-half-point dog. I think I'm betting the money line and the spread, hoping that Tua Tungvailoa is actually suiting up for this football team. And I think Tua is going to try and prove some people wrong. You know, his back's against the wall. He might be getting traded to Houston here soon, which would be a disaster yeah. by all senses here. Before we get to our next game on the list here, which will be when we... Bats. Jets Pats have to bring up proud sponsor of tailgate NFL fans hungry for a big win this week DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL has you covered new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and if they do you win $200 in free bets winner winner chicken dinner it's that simple if Sportsbook isn't available in your state DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. Promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official Sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Jets, Pats. Pats favored by seven at home over Zach Wilson and Robert Sala. Where are you leaning for this game? Seven points is a ton for a Patriots team that's why, you know, two and four against the spread. They've covered that once, and yeah, it was against the Jets earlier this year that they did cover a seven number, but they didn't cover that against the Texans, you know, a few weeks ago to where, get that they're at home, get that's the Jets, but dude, that's just too much for me to to say the Patriots are really going to blow them out. Um, Yeah, Uh, and the Jets coming off a bye as well to where I would not bet this game, but if I had to, I'd lean Jets. Jets also a value on PFF.com, uh, both on the money line and against the spread. How healthy is this Patriots offensive line? That's that's the other thing. It's like the Patriots offense is not built to score. Like it, it, as it's sort of constructed with injuries up front and off the line, it is built to grind out 17 to 14, 20 to 17. It is gr- built to grind out wins like that right now. 
Actually, they're not even doing that too much. But it, it's not built to go 30 to 13. And it's not it's not a game that the Patriots have played a lot this season. So uh, that's the that's the big sort of deciding factor here for me. What's interesting is right now Jets are plus seven on the road against New England, and 93% of the cash bet on this game has been on the Patriots. I think if that rings true, you could see this get to seven and a half. And if you get that half point, the hook, as they call it, over the key number, you could even feel more confident betting the Jets. I like the Jets plus seven as well. Let's get Zach Wilson in there. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, this is the matchup we wanted. This is the matchup we wanted. Panthers at Giants. Giants are three-point dogs at home against the Carolina Panthers. Can Sam Darnold get back on track here and win this game against the Giants? Yeah, it's the battle of collapsing QBs. It's not just Sam Darnold. It's can Daniel Jones get back True. on track here. And, that, and I think that's the bigger thing. It's I, I think the Panthers can bring more heat to this Giants offense and, and have more answers or have put more pressure on Daniel Jones for sure with Brian Burns. Hassan Reddick and company than the Giants can to Sam Darnold to force into those disaster decisions that we've seen from shit both of them over the past two weeks. So I have more faith in the Panthers here riding the ship than I do the Giants at this point. Uh, if Kadiris Tony plays, it could be a different story. That guy is instant offense in his own, but if not, give me the Panthers. Yeah, I think it's he's right now listed as doubtful. So I yeah. don't know if Kadarius Tony's playing. You still have Kenny Galladay questionable on the injury report. You have multiple offensive linemen down, Andrew Thomas included, still on the injury reserve. Like this, this offense alone, Saquon Barkley questionable with injury. This offense alone is too battered, in my opinion, for Daniel Jones to overcome. Like he can't, even if he plays to the level of this supporting cast, it's going to be losing football because of the injuries that they have. Whereas even though Christian McCaffrey is out, for the Carolina Panthers, I don't think that's enough for this offense to take as many steps back as it needs to. I think Sam Darnold slightly bounces back. I don't think it's going to be like a two-pick 40.0 grade for Sam Darnold, mm -hmm. and that might be enough to beat the Giants. So, Giants now. If they do lose, if we both pick the Panthers, Giants do lose. They go to the Chiefs next week, Monday Night Football. Loss. I mean, yeah, pencil and loss. They're, uh, one in seven they'd be. Do we see axes start to get thrown around? Left and right, whether it's Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman. How do you feel about this? Because this is your this five, what, Panama. five of Gettleman? And it's not gotten better. You know, literally gotten worse. Do we see heads roll? Yes I don't no? know if we do see heads roll. I, I still feel if they've gotten to this point, they're going to let them finish the season. Like, I mean, and they've battled so many injuries. I think there's a lot of injury excuse yeah. baked into some of these losses. But regardless, one and seven start, you're not riding the ship to make the playoffs. You need to ideally lose a lot more football games to put yourself in a position to like make some upgrades at multiple yeah. positions. Because this this roster obviously needs significant improvement, and I think you do have to look at an upgrade at the quarterback position. Maybe you're looking at you know Malik Willis, Matt Corral in this quarterback class, depending on where they end up selecting. Like I, I think the Giants have to make that decision if they end up going into the draft, you know, two, three, or four wins in and and, and ultimately drafting inside the top ten. Bengals, Ravens. Ravens favored by six and a half. Right under that key number, Mike. Right under. Six mm. and a half against the Cincinnati Bengals, our hometown Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of me wants to back up the Brinks truck on the Baltimore Ravens. I think I was surprised this line did. It, I think it was at seven to start. It's down to six and a half. Some people mm -hmm. are betting the Bengals. But man, as improved as this Bengals defense is, and I think a lot of people have talked about the improvement they've made in the trenches and even on the back end, Shadobi Awuzie, the veteran cornerback, I think out of Colorado, if I'm not mistaken, 
former quarterback for the Cowboys, has been one of the best free agent acquisitions so far this season. Trey Hendrickson also still playing well. I like the Ravens a lot, and I think this defense is still, while it is improved, not enough to stop Lamar Jackson and company. Yeah, I just can't get out of my head Wink Martindale just eating Zach Taylor's lunch last year. Mm. 38-3, 27-3 to in those two contests. Which time? <laughs> Which game? That's what I'm saying. The 38-3 and 27-3, both times. They just absolutely now they didn't have Joe Burrow the second time, but the first time was Joe Burrow's easily worst game of the year. And all the empty stuff they do, I don't trust the Spangles offensive line against what the Ravens throw in terms of hybrid fronts, in terms of stunts and blitzes, that you're gonna get a lot of free runners on Joe Burrow if you do go, you know, the empty route that they've gone a ton this season. And then they also have a guy in Marlon Humphrey who is a big wide receiver shutdown artist. Like he specializes in, we talked about last week, eight Mike Williams lunch. We specialize in guys like Jamar Chase who are these big physical dudes. Marlon Humphrey can hang with them. So I don't think that the big plays that we've seen fuel this Bengals offense pretty much weekly this year to Jamar Chase will necessarily be there in this one. So with those in mind, yeah, six and a half, just give me the Ravens. Now, now they are better equipped this year. The Bengals will give them this. That front seven, the DTs this year, linebacker core, much improved. They're better equipped to not get taken to the cleaners by Lamar oh, Jackson the way they did have in years past. Lunch will be eaten, but it won't be as but, bad. Yeah, but it will be. It's the other side of the ball that I worry about. This Bengals, they're off the line and moving the ball offensively. I think this is another one of those games where I am leaning Baltimore, and I think I would be betting Baltimore if I was betting from a legal state. And our, we're making the trip to Tuscaloosa this weekend. Bama, also not a legal state in sports betting, which is, you hate to wow. see it. You know, I hate, I tried to bet last year, last week in Louisiana. We That's need to get to a legal state, and we need to get there fast. We need a connecting flight or something, because I want to take advantage of this DraftKings offer and make some plays. Yeah, where are we connecting through? Georgia? Yeah, not legal. Nope. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. All right, 4 p.m. slate, Eagles. Raiders, Ravers, Raiders only favored by three. Only favored by three against Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles at home. At home. Are you going to tell me these guys, are, these teams are equal on a neutral field? Absolutely not. I think Basaccia has these guys fired up. Derek Carr leads the NFL in deep passing yards. Henry Ruggs ranks second behind Jamar Chase in yards against single coverage. This is a very good football team, and they're overcoming some of the issues along the offensive line. I don't think the Eagles have the horses to take advantage of that weakness. I like Raiders minus three. I do too. And now there's matchups that favor both sides. Like this Eagles defensive line, like Hargrave, Cox even, going up against that Raiders offensive line, that's, that's a mismatch. That one Andre James, well. lowest graded center in the NFL. Yeah. Alex Leatherwood, top, you know, bottom three guard and right tackle Brandon Parker, lowest graded tackle in the NFL. Yes. So that obviously favors the Eagles. But you have Darren Waller going up against the Eagles linebackers. <laughs> that obviously favors the Raiders. So... Uh, two very big mismatches there, and I just think then you go back to the quarterback position where Derek Carr quite obviously outplaying Jalen Hurts on the other side of the ball. So uh, lean Raiders at home. Have to give a shout-out here to the Raiders. They're a rookie class. Trayvon Merrick, a guy we haven't talked about much, is playing excellently. Only allowed three of seven targets for 21 yards all season he's long. He's also playing a ton. Yes. He, he's played more snaps, I think, of any like, yes. rookie defender this year. Really a sort of calming force there on the back end that they've been missing. And Nate Hobbs, the slot cornerback, has been excellent as well. Two of the three highest graded starting defenders in this rookie class are with this Raiders. And they had that classic draft where it was like, if you flip their first and second round picks, like if Merrick was their first rounder and Leatherwood was a second rounder, we'd be like, hey, we like that. But they didn't. 
But still, like it doesn't necessarily work like that. But we did love Merrick that draft selection, and he's looking pretty good, damn good so far. Yeah, and they've trusted him with so much. He plays a ton of deep safety, a ton of single high looks, and he has not been yeah. like embarrassing. Whereas yes. they've drafted other safeties that have been embarrassing. Former first rounder in John no, Abram. Not going to name. I was going to say not going to name names, but they pronounced Salmon incorrectly. <laughs> um, I, I'm excited. I definitely am excited for this matchup. I think seeing the Eagles linebackers at any point in time try and cover people is, is usually a pretty good punchline. Lions at Rams. Rams favored by 15. 15 over yeah, dude, we got the We got the comedic section of the Sunday slate. Yeah. With a 17, uh, 15 point line, 17 and a half point line, and a 12 and a half point line coming up. And I think I'm it's leaning a fun dogs. Game to I think it might be dog season. Dog season? Lions at Rams smells, smells like a backdoor cover. This one was the one dog that I liked. Lions are the king of Jared Goff, the king of somehow moving it against uh, prevent defenses. With it's also the Jared Goff revenge less. game. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, this one feels like the Lions lose by 14 to cover a 15-point <laughs> spread. It's out to 15 and a half in some spots. Yes. PFF doesn't see value on the Lions, actually. And you have 78% of the cash so far this week bet on this game on the Rams. You could see this number maybe get to 16, maybe get to 16 and a half. At that point, I I'm... I'm not throwing the kitchen sink, but I am throwing a little cheddar down on Dan Campbell. 16-point line. I mean, my they God, pride. they're not I mean, they're, that horrendous. They have pride still, this team. I Lion pride. Yeah. What one do you pride. think of that? One pride? What's the Is hashtag? that one of the things? Yeah. Can we get your take You know, now through the season on the Los Angeles Rams and where you feel like they stack up in the NFC? Because I think people were up and down. <sighs> they lost. The NFC is tough right now, man. Yeah. I mean, it just is. You got some damn good teams. I mean, you got Bucks. You got the tier one that I would probably say is Bucks and Rams, and that both sides of the ball are very good. Tier two is probably Cardinals, Packers, where is there anyone else I want to add to that? No, I think that's it. Cowboys? Bucks, Packers. Oh, the Cowboys. Sorry. Bucks, Packers, Cowboys, where it's one side of the ball is very, very good. The other side is like, eh, possibly. Thank you for adding Cowboys. That's that's how I see the NFC, where I, I do still think it is Bucks and Rams, where it's like that those are complete teams that one side doesn't necessarily show up. They could still win with the other. Yeah. Um, whereas Packers, Cowboys, Cardinals, like if their offense doesn't show up for a week, I, I don't I'm not necessarily sure uh come playoff time if they can sneak out a win. If you didn't listen to the Kyrie Elam interview on the Wednesday episode, he did bring up uh, talking about corners he watches. He brought up uh Darius Williams. He says a smaller guy that won so much with technique and so much with like kind of Whoa. how he recognized things, which I thought was which is interesting. Like you I normally ask these guys like Jalen Ramsey, you know, whatever. But yeah. like it's like here Darius Williams come up. I thought that's was a good it's a very good it's kind of like goes back to the you know get the guys who weren't physically talented as coaches because they had to like do everything else like yeah. brian hartline is a wide receiver coach mm -hmm. dude didn't run a 4-4 he obviously had to get by with something else so he can then so watch the guy who's you know run, maybe runs a 4-6 and is 5-9 180 to see what he does that's a very good it's a very and Kyrie like, elam like is that, also like, like not a small out. corner like, yeah he no he's like a, a yeah, very too. different he's a 6-2 200 pound corner definitely not gonna play the same game but to learn kind of the tricks of the trade to help you when Maybe you are overmatched long. Yeah, he was cool. Sauce Gardner on today's show. Same with Kingsley and Nagbury. Before we get to Texans Cardinals and that 17 and a half Ooh, points. Spread. Biggest line, biggest line of the year, right? Yeah. I think I've seen a bigger one. That yeah. is huge. That is huge. Uh, whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. When it's Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you put ahead on no help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear more about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al 
on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. 17 and a half point spread. Texans at Cardinals. Is this line big? This is the question every week. Is the line big enough, long enough, if you will, to bet Davis the neck mills? Mm. Is it? And every week I find myself saying yes, and then they get fucking blown out. (laughs) This is, I said, it's the hold your nose and take the fave. Yeah. The Cardinals, it won't, it'll be something like 14 to nothing by the start of the second quarter. Yeah. And then it's just sweat season after that. Do the Cardinals really take the foot off the gas? I don't think they do because I don't think there's a foot off the gas for this offense. Like they have too many playmakers that, what are you going to do to really stop them? So, yeah, just give me – and the Texans have given up, man. You, you watch Whitney Merciless, and obviously they just cut. He, he didn't want to be there. They have guys who don't want to be there. I, I don't blame Would you them. want to be yeah, there? It's like I don't, there's obviously still some pride if you're a young guy and, like, there's still the contracts to be earned. But if you're a vet on this roster, what's – there's – you just – it just has to be sad. It's just very unfortunate. Just putting your body on the line – for a payday and nothing else at this point uh is just unfortunate to see and i don't blame him for not wanting to get hurt yeah and not we really put your i mean we line. talked a lot on the monday episode about like there's gotta be such blurred if not blurred lack of leadership like there's just not a lot of veterans on the team like brandon cooks is probably one of the only vocal but which, i mean there is a ton of veterans but they're all not good. Like, but, it's, not good. but it's also like misguided though. Like who yeah. is the leader? The quarterback goes down. Terod Taylor goes yeah, down. You got yeah. Davis Mills. David Culley's a new head coach. You got Brandon Cooks trying to you know push for things. But now Whitney Merciless is one foot out the door. Like this is obviously not a situation where it's easy to like co- like unify the troops. And I think in the yeah. mid in the beginning of the season where you saw them upset over Urban Myers Jags, I think there was this kind of replacements level energy where it's like, hey, we're we're the most doubted team in the NFL. Let's go make some fucking plays. Then injuries hit and you start to play like ass. I mean, it's those those um, concerns can. Compile. I think we need to every single Easter week. Easterby's turning it around, though. He's he's got he's the right guy to do this. Oh my this. god! I think we need to every single week highlight our hold your breath and take it favorite nose, pick. Take of it. The week. Hold your nose and take right. it. Yeah. Don't worry about. Uh, never mind. I was gonna say something. Uh, Texans at Cardinals, there. seventeen and a half. That's a hold your nose and take it. I like it. Seventeen and a half. We're betting Cardinals. Bears at Bucks. Another big favorite. Twelve and a half point favorite over Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. This is another dog where I smell a backdoor. You know, I bet the Bucks. I put next month's rent on Bucks over Philly, and that was only a seven-point line, and they backdoor covered against me. I think the Bears are in a similar spot here on the road against Tampa Bay. I still like Tampa Bay. I just don't foresee this Bears offense is currently constructed be able to put up 20 points on this Bucks defense. And, and they have where they are strong, this Bucks defensive line. I see that really giving Justin Fields some problems in this game. I think he's going to be under heat, and he's going to make take five-plus sacks to where they're just not going to be able to move the ball and drive down the football field. So I think they score somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 points, and that's then a cover city for this Bucks offense. I disagree. I think the Bears yeah. find a way to backdoor cover here. I think there's a lot of injuries in Tampa Bay. Richard Sherman, doubtful in this game. Levante David, questionable. Antoine Winfield Jr., questionable. Obviously, you still have Carlton, uh, Carlton Davis on the injury reserve. And still, you know, Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown both battling injuries as well. I think that's enough 
for Chicago not to win this game. I don't even think they have control of the game ever, but I think it is enough to just secure a backdoor cover here. I'm rooting for the backdoor cover with Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears. Texans, or no, sorry, Colts at 49ers, Sunday Night Football. Carson Wentz, who was PFF's player of the week, by the way, in week six, yeah. going against, I think, Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. I think there's injuries at both yeah. quarterbacks right now, but I think Jimmy G is the one that's healthy enough to start. Yeah, and he's even been limited at practice this week, so I can't in good conscience pick a favorite, four-point favorite, with question, with a banged-up Jimmy Garoppolo who we've seen what he looks like when he's banged up. And the answer is, like, shit. So uh, that would worry me if I am betting the 49ers side of this. Yeah, they're at home. Yeah, I haven't loved Indy. Obviously, so far this year, they've, what, won one game? Um, but just give me the Colts with that line. If the Colts can pass protect, you can get good Carson Wentz. And I think even with Nick Bosa, the Colts and this offensive line should be able to pass protect up front. And that will be enough. Like, that will be enough, in my opinion, for them to put up enough points to cover the four-point spread, if not outright win this game on the road. And I agree. Like I think the injuries at quarterback are legit, like Jimmy G and, and Trey Lance battling injuries here. If Jimmy G banged up plays, I don't like them as a four-point favorite over the three. I think can, the Colts is the better play. Yeah. Monday night football. There we go. Saints at Seahawks. Geno Smith, a five-point dog at home against Jameis Winston and the New Orleans Saints. Your take. I mean, Saints coming off a bye too. Saints coming off a bye, and it's just still Geno Smith, and it's still that Seahawks secondary. And now I loved how, like I said, I loved how Trey Brown played, but Trey Brown is a rookie. And Seahawks, yeah, I, I think they can at least stifle this Saints run game that they lean on so, so heavily. But I think the Saints are going to go back to the drawing board after the bye week, a little self scout and say, you know, Jameis has not been throwing away necessarily games for us. We got to trust him to let him cook if we're going to compete in this NFC right now. So I do think you're going to come back and see a rejuvenated Jameis. And I got to give a shout out to a couple of Saints scouts we met down uh, in LSU who were big fans of PFF, uh, big fans of Jameis too, that I hope they I hope they win for those boys down there. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Shouting out the scouts, man. I you know I was walking in the office today. I don't remember. His name was Justin. Shout out to Justin. He's a big fan of the show. I had my headphones in though, and you know how I like scare very easily. Yeah. Guy, I have my headphones and he walks by, he like chats on the show. I'm like, holy shit. Just like lose my mind. It's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just had to say, you know, he, he has his own Bagels podcast or he said he was on a Bagels podcast. Big shout out to Justin for recognizing the mustache out in the streets. I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone more scared than when my dog licked your face when you're sleeping on my couch and you like, you like screamed. Yeah, it's tough. And it's not, it's so like unintentional. It's why I don't watch, you know, horror films not because i don't like jump scares like oh, jump yeah. scares will like just do, like, i can't do it i can't i'm not a big fan i'm not a big fan even though like some horror films have like legitimate you know plots put together and stuff where they are i don't actually, watch like, horror films either I'm not that's just it, not my type of entertainment it, it does not i, I don't I do feel, feel like a bigger person them. too can i say i feel like a bigger person calling them horror films rather than scary movies can I say that? Sure. I feel, I feel like horror films. You, you, horror I don't genre. watch. I don't watch horror films, but it's like I'm. I don't watch scary movies. It's like you kind of sound like a child. Yeah. Well, you're kind of a film snob, so it doesn't. I'm doesn't not surprise a film me snob. I just like films. care about like good 
Cinema? You probably call it cinema. I call them pictures. <laughs> I care about good pictures. All right, it's football season, baby, and you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time for you to join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. I'll say this. I don't leave the house without getting a little trimmer 4.0 on. I also got the ball deodorant and the ball toner. And if you're like the non-2 million men who are using Manscaped, you're probably using the same trimmer for your beard and your balls, and you don't want to cross-pollinate. I know you're like, oh, I got a date night tonight. The only trimmer I have is the one I just used to shave my face, and you make that sacrifice. Don't do it anymore. Lawnmower 4.0. I've stopped doing it. I actually never did it. Just <laughs> That's how you get crabs on your face. That's how you get crabs on your face. It's brand new. Lawnmower 4.0, it's here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch that can, can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn on the 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for more of a price, precise shape. I use that to read. Sometimes I'll bring out the light to just read in my bed, you know, because it's so bright. Did I mention the trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, or sleet, no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out the playoffs this year with Manscaped. Can I say, because we're going to get to the prospect primer, this college football slate that's one of the worst college football slates of probably the worst college football slate of the season. No. I'm just saying it is, like in terms of like game matchups. And then the NFL slate that has maybe one game that features two playoff teams in the Chiefs Titans. It is one of the worst midseason sort of football matchups. And I'm not like complaining. I'm obviously gonna watch a butt ton of football all weekend. Mm. But I'm just like the recognizing the fact in front of us that all this confluence of factors hit to where we don't have a lot of great games. Yeah. Sadly, sadly. I mean, I mean, you look at the primetime games, Thursday night football is an injured. <laughs> I mean, backup QBs. Yeah, it could be backup QBs. Then you look at Sunday night football. It could literally, be, it's going to be a banged up Jimmy Garoppolo or a banged up Trevor, uh, Trey Lance. And then Monday night football, Geno Smith is playing. So you got a lot of backup QBs on primetime this week. I agree. Let's look at the pr prospect primer starting with. Oh, I said Colts had one win. My bad. They have two. Piece of shit. Kenny Pickett, the Pittsburgh quarterback, also the highest graded quarterback in college football, according to PFF, going against the Clemson Tigers. Where are you at with Kenny Pickett here? Do you like him in that matchup? Do you think he comes out of this? I don't. With a 70, I mean, I don't, 80 I don't, plus grade? I don't love anyone going up against Clemson's defense. They're still like, as much as they've snuck by in a lot of games, it's because DJ Uyunglele uh, forgot how to throw. I, I just got to call it what it is. He is all over the place right now. Whereas Kenny Pickett is not. That guy's been very accurate. I, I thought he looked good, not exceptional against Virginia Tech. We highlighted that as the first like best real defense he's faced yet. Now, this is a real, real defense. This is you better be on your A game to look good against Clemson's defense. This is an NFL type of defense and what they're going to be throwing at you that I'm excited. I mean, like this is a make or break. He comes out and puts on a show. We can talk first round with Kenny Pickett. That's how talented. Really, we talked first round. He puts on a show against Clemson. Wow, that's a big game. You talk about you know some yeah. slim pickings here. That's this, a massive yeah. game. This is tape one. You know, you're going back as an NFL evaluator watching this guy. You are starting 
with this Clemson game for him. Fair, fair. Kayvon Thibodeau going against Sean Ryan this week. Kayvon Thibodeau also the number one overall pick in Trevor Sikama's mock draft. I want to go over that next week, by the way. A little review of Trevor Sikama's mock draft. He had that for PFF.com today. Mocked to the Detroit Lions at number one overall. He's got a matchup against Sean Ryan. Yeah, this would be really good. I'm not necessarily, I mean, for both of them. Uh, Ryan, I see more. He's 6'5", 320. I see him probably more on the interior, the NFL level. But it at least, like, I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau is the athletic test of tests. Like, if you can look good against him, shit, you can play on the edge in the NFL. Like, that's that's the type of tools he's throwing at you. But it's also a better test for Thibodeau. It's like, is he really this special guy, or is he more of a super freak athlete project still? Because he, I mean, you watch some of those plays against Cal, and he is running in, in like, not, not a straight line, but he's just running an arc and not doing much. And the tackle just, like, can't handle what he's throwing at him not really even use his hand so he can get by on that in the nfl not a lot of guys can so good 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 his first like real tackle test of the season it's usc week in south bend it is usc week we actually got our credentials approved for this game too we were going to go scout kyle hamilton versus drake i still might go no you're not I mean, the way you booked our flights this weekend, I'm, I, I'm not even sure I'm going to make it to this It's going to be tough. Game. The flights are going to be tough, but we have to rally. Austin booked, for context, the worst flight plan I've ever seen in my entire life for this weekend in Alabama. We're in, we are in Tuscaloosa for 24 total hours. We, we land in Birmingham, Alabama on Friday night at 11 p.m., and then we leave from Birmingham, Alabama, which is an over, a little over an hour away from Tuscaloosa, at 5 a.m. Sunday. So we like literally, we shouldn't even booked a hotel. We should have just driven there, uh, stayed the whole, stayed awake the whole day, and then just driven back. I honestly, can I, can I apologize? I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was going to be that shit. And I also, I tried to change the flights. It's like four x the price. I don't know what you want me to do. Well, I mean, just a, just a little forethought, just a little. But anyway, but we didn't. But Kyle Hamilton. Long story short, we were supposed to be at this USC game. They didn't book credentials for a while, and then we got um, we made some moves and made it to Tuscaloosa. So we'll be in Tuscaloosa for the Tennessee game, not for this one. But Kyle Hamilton will be going against Drake London this week. Hopefully, we'll see. I mean, Drake's playing more on the outside now than he ever has. He used to be a slot receiver. Now he's more on the outside. Kyle Hamilton still gets slot. I just need like one dig route. I just need like a couple, maybe just like one time where. It's the third down, and they're like, let's play man. And Kyle Hamilton goes over Drake London because that's shit who you want if you're on Notre Dame's defense playing man coverage. So just give me a few matchups. That's all I want because that is a 6'5", 210 wide receiver going up against 6'4", 220 safety. Both. One's a first-round lock, as we've said on this podcast. One may get in that conversation here soon, but that's just that's a nice matchup, even though you may not see a ton in that game. I mean, it's going to be a good game, too. I mean, USC, Notre Dame. I mean, you Probably see, not. Notre Dame's going to blow them out. You can see an upset. I, I mean, in South Bend. Kenyon Green, Texas A&M off the tackle, going against Kingsley and Agbari and Jordan Strawn for South Carolina. Kingsley and Agbari, also a new friend of the show. His interview is mm. on today's pod. One of my favorite interviews this year, man. Kingsley was really, really cool. Tells a really good story about how he was supposed to play tight end in Pop Warner, ended up eating a snack beforehand, going over the weight limit to play tight end, ends up playing tackle on defensive line. Who knew? What could have been? What could have been? He could have been the starting tight end for South Carolina said he's a starting defensive lineman and he's playing more snaps probably than anyway. Yeah, I mean, he looks pretty damn good. I don't think I don't think he, it was a win-win, I think. I was going to say, if he thought, if he had the forethought to then look at the wage scales for both in the NFL, he made the right decision, you know, in, in my opinion. So, 
Now, uh, him going up against Kenny Green and shit. The thing is, you have no clue where Kenny Green's lining up from week to week. So he might be playing center this week because he's played everywhere else along the Texas A&M offensive line. So they may not match up at all. But if they do, will be nice tape for them. Kenny Green did play left guard last week, but played left tackle the week before that. So TBD on this one if it actually comes to fruition, but hopefully it does. Love it. Mailbag episode season? Let's go. Mail bag. Really appreciate you all reaching out either on Apple Podcasts and the reviews. Make sure you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts. And your review will be shown or, or, or answered on this pod. And also you can follow PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter and send a DM in there. This is from Raleigh, Raleigh TJ. Understandably, you guys are big fans of Vicky Kwanu. But what are your thoughts on some of the other NC State prospects? Day two, day three guys, Isaiah Moore, Ameka Amezi, Corey Durden, Donovan Knight, a.k.a. Bam Knight, to name a few. First off, I'm a little surprised he didn't throw Peyton Wilson in there. Now he did get hurt early on this year, but I, I think he might be their best prospect uh, outside of Vicky Aquino, the linebacker, Peyton Wilson. But so to go, Donovan Knight, sweet. Love him as a running back. Very... Uh, very good short area burst for a guy, you know, 215-pounder or so. Uh, running back five in the PFF draft board. So big fan of his game. Amezi, mm, wide receiver for NC State. Big dude, 6'3", 212. Not quite as much of a fan. Not particularly sudden or dynamic. You just watch his releases, and it's lethargic getting off the line. Uh, only seven broken tackles over the last two years in 81 catches. Yikes. Does have very good ball skills, but I would describe him as a possession guy first and foremost, which that's not, what's, that's not what's getting us excited here at PFF. Corey Durden, if you're a two-for-one drafts listener from way back when, you know we love ourselves and Corey Durden. He was one of the most hashtag fun-to-watch defense tackles in the country two years ago at Florida State before they switched up their scheme. He got hurt. He transfers to NC State. 80.4 overall grade this year. I'm still a big fan. Honestly, going back and watching this tape, I probably should, from more from this year, I probably should have included him in our top 10 defense tackles. That's more because t- the defense tackle class is a disaster, but he has better twitch for a six foot four, three hundred fifteen pounder than even guys like Federian Mathis, who's uh, better twitch and lateral agility, who's like the third DT on PFF's draft board. It's just a weak defense attack class. So uh, I like where he's going, sort of his trajectory of him as a prospect. The balance is still a disaster. He is not good against double teams. He will be taken to the ground far more often than you would like. And then last one, not least, Isaiah Moore. Other linebacker at NC State, the dude is yoked. He is a four-year starter there, but he really gets jostled by blocks. Like he, he, him taking on blocks. You really saw he's just a touch over two thirty, but he really got moved off a spot a lot. And he's a little stiff. Like you didn't see him bend under blocks. That is not his game. So he is a day three kind of linebacker. Probably still draftable. Love to see the deep, NC the State. deep dive in NC State, man. Corey Durden, oh, a man. big. If you were a two for one draft listener, or still are a tailgate listener, he was hashtag fun to watch. All right, this is from Paolo One Hundred One on Twitter. Why are orbit motion plays so common in the college game right now? It seems like every team is running it multiple times. So first, before you explain the advantages of orbit motion, explain to people what orbit motion is. Okay, so orbit motion is when it's kind of like a post snap. It's basically like uh, end around. Of faking so a, a wide receiver goes behind the running back and the quarterback uh, after the snap Takes an or it could orbit even around yeah orbits looks like an orbit yeah that's why it's uh descriptive so orbit motion to be honest i haven't necessarily noticed it that much uh, I, I know jet sweep has increased in recent years i actually called that back in 2017 i tweeted out jet sweep motions of future i've seen that increase orbit motion I, i've noticed this, an increase in 
like the fast four or the fast three motion, which is when a line when you're out of the shotgun and you got a running back offset to one side and he goes you quick at the snap to the other side. I've noticed a lot of that increasing in college football in recent years. But I will say this, the strengths, the advantage of orbit motion is changes the strength of formation. Uh, you don't have to have that timing as well as jet, you do it for jet motion. Like that jet motion, you see guys sometimes get involved, hit like your tackle, hit the ball as it's being snapped, things like that. Orbit motion, you don't have to worry about that. He's behind the formation, but still has to be accounted for by the defense, still changes the strength of the formation, things like that. So, and it also is something you put on tape that defenses have to then plan for, for whether it's trick plays, whatnot that you can run out of that. So those are the sort of advantages of that orbit motion. I always feel like they get away with to, you know, the arc of that orbit getting closer and closer to like them going towards the line of scrimmage, even though you're like not technically allowed to do that. Like Canadian football, I think with the orbit motion, oh, yeah. there are oftentimes where pre-snap, you see this guy like actually starting to go towards the line of scrimmage and oftentimes mm -hmm. gets uncalled. All right. Skin. I loved when the bears back in the day to Alshon Jeffrey, they ran the fake orbit motion and then pop back out to the other side for the screen when it's in man coverage and you get the guy flying way over the top or sh switching. Yeah. Yeah. That's this is from Skin Eleven. What are PFF's top ten minus two and top ten plus two plays this year? If there aren't enough of those plays, and you can go back a couple years if you have to. So remember, top two plus two means you know every player and every play and every game is graded from positive two to negative two. Those being like the maximums and minimums of the grading mm -hmm. scale. So the minus two is like the worst play you've ever seen, and plus two is the best play you've ever seen above expectation or below expectation. Yeah. So there's there's a lot. So minus two is chock full of like pick sixes like really bad pick sixes in quarterback position uh really bad fumbles that sort of thing so some of the ones i highlighted and we give minus twos for penalties that then result in ejection so you got a Kadarius tony with the minus two last week ronnie harrison kenny young Ronnie Harrison we hit the coach kenny young when he hit the ref those got some minus two some of the some of the ugly pick sixes that got minus two trevor lawrence versus the cardinals oof byron murphy to Byron Murphy, that one was tough. Uh, we had we gave Mac Jones the minus two when he threw it backwards in week one. That was hot. That was just when it's that bad of a fumble when it's like an intentional your own fumble. Jimmy G when he threw it backwards against the Packers when like you you weren't forced to fumble you just kind of shit the bet. Yeah, yeah, brain fart. Those were minus twos. Uh, gave gave a minus two to Ben Roethlisberger for the Logan Wilson one even though it wasn't like a pick six, the Logan Wilson pick where it was literally just like he threw it into his gut when Logan Wilson's there the entire time. That one's bad. We gave Lamar the game loser against the Raiders for the fumble he had. Gave that one a minus two. Mahomes, the pick this past week against Washington. Yikes. You said it was the worst two. play of his career. And then Demonte Casey at the minus two. Uh, just completely blowing when you are the deep man in against the Patriots this past week to give up what could have been the game wing score if they obviously didn't convert that fourth down to Cedric Wilson. Now, to the more exciting side of the ball. And now there are a lot of plus twos in the PFF database that are punts because when you get a really sick punt, which happens like, you know, once a week, you get a plus two for those. But I will give a shout out to Justin Tucker. He's got a plus two. I think we actually gave him a 2.5 for the, that kick. That the, kick. The record we have gone kick. above the grading scale at times and given out more than just plus two. He's got a 2.5. So because it deserves it. Because when it's a, an NFL record to win a game, yeah, that's a little bit more yeah. than just your normal <laughs> plus two. But some of my other ones, faves that got plus twos on the offside of the ball, or just uh, in general, Damian Harris. His touchdown run against the Jets where he broke like four or five tackles. Yeah. That it was, was like sick. Kyle Brandt's angry run to it. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, the touchdown against the Ravens that he had where it was just like no one got, no one kept tackling him. It was pretty nuts. That one got plus two. Roquan Smith pick six against Joe Burrow where he broke like two tackles after he had the pick. That one got one. Eric Kendrick's one-handed interception got one. But one of my – the highest graded play 
that I can remember giving out. And I stopped grading. I graded from 2013 to 20, I want to say 2018, that actually I graded plays uh, weekly. It was Robert Quinn against the Bears. I believe it was 2014 in that massive season he had where he had, I believe, 20 sacks. He f- beat Jamon Bushrod in as quick as you can beat an offensive tackle. Like it just like one swipe was gone, passed him. Um, forced a fumble. So that getting the, you know, beating a guy as quickly as you can, the offensive line is worth one, one. 1.5. Forced the fumble, which is worth another 0.5. Recovers the fumble, returns for a touchdown, literally all on his own. That was the highest graded play I can remember giving out, uh, which again, went above the plus two scale. Hell yeah. I think that was a good breakdown on the grading system for PFF too. A lot of people have questions about you know, the mm-hmm. difference between a one and a two and all that stuff. Uh, this is from Jordan Short on Twitter. Thoughts on the two Georgia backs at the next level. We've actually had some comments on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts that were underrating Samir White. Oof. So it's Samir White and James Cook, who James Cook, I believe, is Dalvin Cook's younger brother. Yeah. All right. Love the show. Exclamation point, exclamation point from Jordan Short. So James Cook is not too dissimilar from Dalvin from like Uh-oh. a movement skills perspective but he is 25 pounds lighter. He is 5'11", 190, which is just not what you could do with that at the NFL level. That is not a running back. You got to add some beef. Exactly. So that's the worry about James Cook. I, I hope he goes to the Shrine Bowl, gets to compete in some one-on-ones because he's a very good receiver uh, to see what he can do in that regard. Um, but I just don't know what you're going to do with the back that size. Like, And it shows up on tape. It just doesn't have the power. Um, Zemir, Zemir White. I may be underselling a little bit, not having him in the top 10. He would be just outside the top 10 for me. I love the juice. I think he's added some more wiggle this year. He's almost actually has as many broken tackles this year as he did last year um, for Georgia, which adding a little bit different element to his game, even if his yards per attempt is down, uh, I think he has been more impressive from a prospect perspective. I still just think he's a, a, a bit of a linear type of running back that, I don't know. Just outside the top 10. Adam Miller on Twitter, who I'll also shout out. He's been a big fan of two-for-one drafts and tailgate. He has been a frequent listener. Got to us on Twitter. I'm a Steelers fan. I want to know which quarterback in the draft would fit the team the best as it's constructed right now. Also, I'm not sure if you guys do this already, but does each team have an overall team grade? Essentially adding up everyone who played in the game's grade and then dividing it by the number of players could be an easy way to make power rankings going forward. Thanks. So I'll answer the second part of that. We do have overall team grades, and those are available in PFF's Elite subscription um, in premium stats. And we don't, it's not as simple as adding up everyone's grade and reducing it because you have to factor in positional value, how many snaps they played. That's a little bit more of a complex formula than that. And for our power rankings, team grade is factored into that. Offense grade, defense grade, coverage, these things. Our power rankings you can find on pff.com as well are essentially our ELO ratings for betting as well. So you can see a team's rating according to the spread against an average team and stuff like that. So go check out pff.com if you are interested in those overall team grades or, or power ratings, et cetera. Yeah, for the quarterback for the Steelers, I mean, the best quarterback is the quarterback for the Steelers. Like, everyone wants to say, yeah, like to play in bad weather, you would like a guy who's well built with a strong arm. Sure. Like, in Heinz Field, in that division, every game's outside. Uh, you know, it, it, there are no domes, and you're not, you're not in Miami. It's not going to be nice and sunny in December there in the games you're playing. So, yeah, you probably want, like I said, a guy who can sling it, can spin it. Maybe Malik Willis. I mean, Malik Willis, I think, fits that bill. Obviously, one of the strongest arms in college football, and he looks like a running back in terms of his build. That guy is thick. Uh, if we're talking about day two guys, Carson Strong. I mean, he has – he's, what, 6'4", 220, 
most completions, 50 plus yards downfield past couple seasons. So yeah, uh, those are the two guys I'd probably highlight. But again, I'm I don't think any of the, so I don't think any of the guys in the first round conversation right now have weak arms. Sam Howell, Matt Corral, those guys all can spin it. Like, those guys all have legit 65 plus yard throws in their arm. Chris Washburn on Twitter, he's highlighting one dude, he has been Khalil Shakir, yeah. wide receiver for Boise State, has been sick this year. Both like you'll see highlights of Khalil Shakir making insane plays after the catch, but also some equally impressive plays um at the catch point. Like his ball skills have been really impressive for Boise State as well. Chris Washburn's question is has been Khalil Shakir Shakir has been good over his career at Boise, but has been especially dominant this year. I agree. I felt he should have declared for the 2021 NFL draft. If he had, where would he have ranked among the receivers and where is he in where is he in this upcoming class? So he was a debate to make the top ten. I went with Romeo Dubs right ahead of him because I think Romeo Dubs has a little bit better long speed. You see Romeo Dubs doing it on the outside than a Nevada receiver. Shaquille Shakir is a slot, and he's six foot one ninety. He's like a s- slimmer dude. And, and the question I have about him and kind of the role he fits in that Boise State offense is like, what kind of like actual juice does he have? What what kind of speed does he have? Because to me, he looks like maybe like a mid four or five guy. I'm not sure he is a guy who can really take the top off the defenses. And there's not a lot. Like we say, speed doesn't necessarily matter at the wide receiver position. There are guys getting it done who run in the four or fives. But the vast majority of them are bigger dudes. You know, Devontae Adams ran a four five nine. He's six two two fifteen. You know, Michael Thomas ran the four fives. He's also you know six three two ten. Like it, those are guys that are large wide receivers. That is not uh, Shakir. So I, I'm a fan of his game, though. I, I mean, his ball skills are exceptional. The highlight reel is out of this world. His after the catch ability is great. He just may be a little bit more of a slot still at the NFL level, which not knocking that, but I think that just drops your value down a touch from pretty much every any guy, everyone in the top 10 right now for the PFF draft board. None of those guys are slot only. I might have to stop the recording because there you can now purchase senior bowl player NFTs. Oh no. I, I, I don't, I, I'd honestly think like we have to sprint to the presses. Get, get in I have to take it alone. I have to take it alone. Like I don't. I, how many NFTs do I want? All of them. All right. I have two takes and NFTs. One. I'm so excited for this. There's no former accounting major. Everyone. Sh- everyone should start their own NFT. There's fucking zero downside. It, it's a. There's no startup cost to to create a pixelized version of an ape mm-hmm. or a pixelized version of what a uh, crocodile or whatever the fuck these are. Penguin. But I've seen those. If you think like imagine. <laughs> imagine like you're on a date and hard to imagine try try to explain to like you're trying to date a girl you really like her <laughs> imagine trying to explain that you bought you purchased ten thousand dollars you paid ten thousand dollars to buy a picture of an ape wearing a funny hat that anyone else can see but now you own the exact code to or what you know, i have a, a specious understanding about how this all works obviously but do you think in a hundred years anyone's going to give a sh- like? I think anyone's going to give a shit about that uh, unique code that you purchased for this thing. No, all of my pictures on Tinder, Hinge, and Bumble are 
pixelized apes yeah. so and it has been working like, it ha and it has been working i'm sorry like it has been working they enter the conversation like oh my god did you spend 10k on that i was like yes i did and here's the thing i'm not saying you can't make money on it i'm sure you can make money on oh it. you can make money on anything it's just do you want to be making money do you want to actually be doing this that's my take on nft i think i'm gonna do an nft for you know all the dates that i'm on like take a selfie and like eventually that's like digitalized art yeah. like i think that could be a decent that's piece. Uh, one of the guys at barstool takes a selfie every day and then sells as an nft that's hot that's hot i, I <laughs> we should get to that this podcast could be an nft the thumbnails could be nfts well I'm, i mean we still need to start the podcast only fans i'm waiting for you to get on that oh i will uh, uh, only fans doesn't exist anymore no it does it came back it's back yeah i, I don't know actually I, I think it's back <laughs> all the all the girls i sub to are back no <laughs> so, someone told me it's back all right go host burner on twitter is not bringing up nfts is there any chance the browns could get chris olave in the late first or would his stock not fall far enough i think it's too early i, I don't know what yeah. your answer is to this i think it's too early to start to talk about where receiver or where even certain players like Alave are sliding in or even where the Browns are going to pick or even where the Browns are going to pick. He also had another question. What is your opinion of Cordell Flott? Has he shown anything? Is he grading well? He has. So he has actually, so Cordell Flott is the slot corner for LSU. One of my favorite junior. names. But I like he, Flott. Yeah. But he is 6'1", 165. The guy's a stick. Um, 165? Yeah. Um, he's pretty skinny. And I'd just be floored if he declared for this year's draft. Now, I really like his acceleration. The guy's fast. To me, he's a much better athlete than Eli Ricks, um, who was their kind of heir apparent outside cornerback who just got hurt a couple weeks ago at LSU. But he has, he's also been their slot cornerback, which is not what he's going to do at the NFL level at 6'1", 165. You, you, you're not even going to do that 6'1", 180. You got to be a, you got to be a better tackler. You just got to be a little more physical to be playing the slot in today's NFL uh, than that would suggest so i do think his future is obviously at outside corner he did play some this past week against florida at outside corner but i don't think he's going to be playing enough if he does you know going forward with ricks out with stingley out if he is outside corner one half of the season i don't think he's going to be able to put enough on tape to really put his name in a serious conversation of where he could be physically like that guy has real deal tools to where he comes back balls out in 2022 maybe add talking, some weight you know he could be like uh, his first round type of physical tool is not. So when you're at LSU, you're going to get noticed when you're play, playing on the outside. So that's my thoughts. A lot. Last mailbag question. Then we'll do trivia. And then we have the interviews with Ahmad Gardner and Kingsley Anagbari. This is from Joko G. Ba on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> starting this list off, starting this last offseason, Brian Dable, the offense coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, has been a candidate for every head coaching vacancy now, including the Raiders. I think he's overhyped and does not deserve most of the credit for the Bills' offense. I want more takes in your guys' mailbag questions. Mm -hmm. Come in with a little bit of that. Don't yeah. be like, hey, what do you think of Cordell Flott? Be like, hey, what do you think of Cordell Flott? I think he fucking stinks. Like, I want a little bit of that. I want a little taste of the takes. Don't use this opportunity to show a little bit. Maybe we'll get Joe Cobot on the pod. I think he is overhyped and does not deserve most of the credit the Bills' offense. Ken Dorsey came in as QB coach and Josh Allen took and continues to take massive steps forward in his progression. Similar story in Carolina. Dorsey's coming and going coincides with Cam's rise too and the fall for the MVP. Also, Dorsey was promoted to passing game coordinator in the offseason, possibly proving the Bills see hit value. Do you agree? Is there any other way to prove or disprove? So actually, so his name's not Joe Cobah. It's Ken Dorsey's wife. And that's <laughs> that's maybe why driving this conversation. Yeah, so I guess I would just push back. We're going exact dates here. So we started in Carolina in 2013. Obviously, it was 2015 when Cam Newton won the MVP, and obviously he had one of the better rookie seasons of all time. Was good before that, actually. 
had his best yards per attempt as a rookie in a second year, and then his worst in the second year with Ken Dorsey. Like at those dates kind of coinciding or not, I wouldn't call that because of Ken Dorsey. And then same in Buffalo where Dorsey actually came in in 2019. Josh Allen was still pretty rough. 2020 was when he break out, broke out um, to being this elite quarterback. So I would just push back on the narrative that these the success of these QBs was because of Ken Dorsey. They didn't perfectly coincide. Now I'm not saying it, it is difficult to assign responsibility when you are outside a building for who's doing what uh, in that uh, coaching staff. But I will say like Dayball is play calling at least because he does call plays. I think it's been very good. I mean, just in terms of like run pass splits, trusting Josh Allen. I, I, I think he has earned the sort of to the ability to be that hot name. Obviously you never really know how good a coach is going to be from being coordinated to a head coach, but I'd, would push back that it's purely Ken Dorsey. Fair enough. Shall we get to trivia? Quinn, do we have trivia questions? Let's do it. We do. We got more uh, listener-submitted trivia questions. We got two of them this week. Um, and we actually had a lot more. I had some people hit me up. Uh, I think some people hit up the account, the um, tailgate account. So if you submitted a question and we didn't get to it, um, I apologize. We will get to it. Unless your question just stinks, then maybe oh, we won't. Fair. But uh, we got three this week. You guys ready? Let's do it. All right, number one. This is from Joe Didi. He wants to know, uh, one current NFC East receiver had the pleasure of catching passes from Davis the Neck Mills in high school. Oh, Who was shit. it? One current NFC East. Was Davis Mills a Texas yeah, high school guy? he was Texas, I'm pretty sure. Um, so was it NFC East? So he would have to be like early on in his career. NFC. Michael Gallup. Negative. I'm going to go with CeeDee Lamb. Negative. Oh. Who is it? Uh, you guys don't want to take any more guesses? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take one more guess. One more guess. Um, Darius Slayton. Yes. Oh, See? Well, well done. You got to keep plugging away. Yeah, Darius Slayton. Not sure what year. He didn't give a year. But it doesn't matter. Um, this next one is from Brandon Ryblich. Ryblich? Yep. Sorry, Brandon, on Twitter. Relabilich. Relabilich. There you go. It's oh, not right. on. Pro- Davis Mills from Georgia. We were dead off. We were way off. <laughs> well. It's still Darius Slayton. <laughs> it's still Darius Maybe he flew in from Texas I was Texas going the wrong way. That's why we just see it. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, Brandon wants to know, it's not unprecedented, unprecedented that the Packers took a QB within the first two days of the draft while Aaron Rodgers was the Packers QB. Who was the last QB drafted by the Packers on day one or two? Jordan Love. Negative. I, I think he means Before. other than. Brian Brown. Yeah, Brian Brown. Boom. I love that one. I thought Brian Brown was going to be a stud. Yeah. Oh, the, the clip of... Uh, who's the guy who lives just across the river? Who is the fullback? Uh, who wears the big ass neckties? Whatever the guy who lives just across the river wears the big ass neckties. How is uh, that a description that H- anyone H- Hodge, can get? Merrill Hodge? Oh, everyone knows Merrill Hodge. I'm just, uh, oh, that's the big ass neckties. The he is the fullback. only one. He had the fucking massive neckties that people would people someone out there immediately. He, who was the, yeah, the the fat tie knots. Yeah, they were yes. just absurd. And they, then he'd take his jacket off and they'd go down like to his nips. Uh, but the clip of him being like, I like. Brian Brown better than I did Aaron Rodgers coming out is incredible. Oh, that's hot. That's All right, a, third question. A, he was in conversation for the number one pick with uh, between him and Matt Ryan. Yeah. Didn't if, really work out that way. But If Twitter really was around back then, like if it was like now, that would be, you'd hear that every week. That's hot. Maybe we should pull it up. Research it. it up. Yeah. Uh, actually, Merrill Hodge has been through the offices before. Yeah, that's what I say. He lives in here and just ask him, just be like, hey, Merrill, you want to come on the pod and dish out that take? <laughs> I don't hate that. 
All right, uh, last question. Tailgate is headed to Tuscaloosa on Saturday for Tennessee and number four Alabama. This active All-Pro started his collegiate career at Alabama before finishing it at Tennessee. Uh, Alvin Kamara. Alvin yeah, Kamara. that was a layup. That was a layup. That That's was. That's uh, again, I'm wearing an Alvin Kamara jersey to the Tennessee game. We have Tennessee, I think, after. Ooh. I got the retro Tennessee orange. It's going to be hot. Very hot. I might wear it on the pod. Who knows? Um, next on our list here. I have a know your co-host question. Yeah. You want me to go first? Co-host. Go ahead. I led the conference my senior year in high school yeah. in sacks. How many did I have? Ooh. Seven. Eleven. Eleven, Eleven sacks. Eleven sacks. And I had I had two or I think I had two in senior night, which is pretty hot. And then I had it and then I flexed on the middle the the logo in the middle of the yeah. field and i got a 50 yard penalty my coach wanted to fucking kill me but it was <laughs> worth it senior night it was senior night dominantly uh, all right i played soccer growing up little line eye soccer club champagne traveling soccer uh we were good we had one year where we were really good and then everyone quit what position <laughs> i played because they didn't want to hang out with you no i, I quit too I, I quit too you played goal goalie baby that's hot Cool. All right. Uh, let's get to these interviews uh, with Kingsley Anakbury and Ahmad Gardner. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current South Carolina edge defender King- Kingsley Anakbury. Kingsley, it's great to have you on the show. You right now, my friend, are on record or on pace to break the PFF record and pass rusher grade set by Chase Young a few years ago. It is an honor to have you on the show. It's an honor to have to be on the show. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting stat. Um, it would definitely be cool, to, I guess, to break Chase Young, seeing what the, he did. <laughs> the people on that list, man, the people on that list are you right now, Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. It's been dominated by these Ohio State guys. It's time for South Carolina to step up, man. Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> on the map, man. And this this year, so you decided in the offseason to come back for this season in 2021 and are on a tear, obviously. You are having a ton of success with South Carolina so far this season. What all went into that decision? And did you know when you, you know, obviously made the decision to come back that you were going to be on this tear, that you had you know, you had big plans for this year? Um, honestly, it was really down to whether, whether or not if I was either coming back to college and the only, I guess, option was South Carolina or, you know, it was South Carolina or the league, I guess. But um mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, me and my family just sat down and discussed, had a conversation with Beamer and um, my uh, position coach. And I guess we pretty much was trying to see what was going on. And I guess, the, um, I guess kind of see the process and the future of the, what the coaching situation and stuff was going to be like. Then, um, also then we had that conversation, then went back to my family. Then about a couple of weeks later, we pretty much made the decision to come back and yeah, so far it's been great. But um, yeah, I definitely knew I was gonna have a pretty good season. Um, just due to the work that I put in, then just the how I mentally attacked the game, and just I feel like I prepared the right way, and the result shows. Yeah, that, that's awesome that you have you know one such a good relationship with your family, and they're able to be supportive in that decision. Also, a great relationship with Shane Beamer, who is you know trying to do a lot to change. You know, the culture there at South Carolina, having him on this podcast a few months ago, it was great to hear like all the plans that he had for South Carolina. What's your relationship with Beamer? And I guess your your take on you know what he's done to change the culture and change, you know, what South Carolina is trying to do. Oh uh, man, Beamer is definitely tight. Um he's definitely been a coach who's just just honestly love us and wants to be in South Carolina, but wants to be in Columbia. And I feel like so far he's been the perfect fit for us. Like 
just the energy he brings. I said this in probably every interview. Like the energy he brings is unmatched that I ever seen by a head coach. Like every day is no matter what he's bringing energy. Then whenever he he could tell us when when we do good, then when we when we're doing bad, he's also gonna tell us like, hey, tighten up. Like you gotta get your stuff right. But yeah, he's definitely a. Um, he likes to uh, flood us with um, compl- uh, compliments, though. Um, definitely got trying to keep everyone happy, keep everyone motivated, and just oh, the biggest change I've seen just the confidence he builds and uh, he or he, he help um, other kids get. Like I just the change has been phenomenal so far. Yeah, I think a lot of you know South Carolina players and South Carolina fans should be excited about the the Beamer era. He brought a lot of energy to our interview. He brings a lot of energy to his post game press conferences too. That one he did on Zoom where he was talking about the Georgia defense was phenomenal. He is he's a he's a he's a fantastic guy. I, I want to talk more about the energy of the South Carolina stadium. He was also we do a lot of on site you know stuff where we're going to different stadiums around the country. He was standing for us to come to Columbia and South Carolina. Just how great has it been to have fans back in, in South Carolina? Uh, it's definitely we. I feel like we definitely have a home field advantage with having the fans just in the sandstorm. We every game, every home game. I literally just have to before we run out. I full circle like just the just in the maze. Like how crazy <laughs> it is. Like the South Carolina fans are diehard fans, and it's just uh, we're we're bl- honestly blessed to have our fans. Like and how passionate they are. It's 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 phenomenal. We love them. Focusing more on you and this season, I know you said you came into the season mentally prepped. What all went into your offseason preparation for this, you know, season two comeback? You know, what what weight did you come in at? Are you are you what weight are you playing at right now? And I guess how did you approach the film room this offseason in terms of trying to identify areas for your game to improve? Um, yeah, um during the spring, my uh my people helped me hook up with uh Chuck Smith. He's uh pretty oh, yeah. well known um D line specialist or whatever. Um and just perfecting my craft and the networks and that asset or aspect. And then um just honestly just I had to put more weight on. So this year I plan or last year I was probably playing around 250, 255. This year I'm probably up 10 pounds, 260, 260. Wow. Or really ranging between 260 and 268. Um but yeah just adding more weight, just adding more muscle and lean muscle mass has just been I guess the biggest difference in this offseason. Just I guess attacking the Film room more, just watching um, cues that the offensive tackle may give or the line, and just watching, I guess, the cadence, peeping peeping the cadence that the quarterback have, and just being smart in that aspect. I can't tell you how many you know pass rushers I've talked to. I remember Brian Burns, a handful of other guys I've talked to where they bring up Chuck Smith and how much he can improve your game. That's awesome that you got connected with him and can add different pass rush moves. Are there certain pass rush moves you like to lean on as that primary move? And what you know what secondary moves have you been working? Is there you know some development there and just your full tool set as a pass rusher? Uh, I feel like it's really just more more so learning the game of uh, pass rush and just know how to set up alignment, like whether I could beat them with speed. The next time I'm come back with a, a counter spin move inside or something, or I beat them with power, then I can go into the jump cross or something mm-hmm. like that. Just knowing knowing how to play the game with him, just play with his mind, just set him up, hit him with one move, then come back with the next. And just knowing but what can you do with, with what kind of set he's setting, what what he's doing with his hands, whether he's punching his, trying to keep his outside hand in. Um, I'll probably go in the bull rush. If he's giving me an outside, I'm probably go with an outside, probably a speed rush or something like that. Um, just knowing, just really just knowing what the old lineman giving me and me kind of influence it by playing with his mind. 
I've always said that, you know, wide receiver corner, edge offensive tackle is, is so much of a chess match. So much of it is mental. You know, you have to set up different moves, you know, make them think you're doing one move and then develop this counter off of that. That mental chess piece side of it is what makes it such a you know great part of the game to watch. How much do you factor in, um, you know, you know, talking back and forth? Do you do any trash talking? I know I talked to some cornerbacks that they like to play that part of the game. Do you kind of let the game talk or are you in there also chirping? Uh, I feel like it depends, like. For the most part, I feel like I'll go in there trying to just stay level-headed, stay focused and whatnot. But I feel like if someone, um, I guess, tried me, and that's when it's on, I feel like I, I hit another level, and and I'm going to start chopping, chirping back. <laughs> but um, also, I feel like it makes me play a little better because I feel like when I once I start chirping, I got to back it up. like So and give me that extra edge. So I feel like it's kind of bad to kind of chirp to me in a sense. <laughs> I think that's the best approach, honestly. Go into it level-headed. Go into it calm. But if they come at you, that's when you got to turn it on, man. You can't back down to some of those guys who like to talk the entire game. Um, you know, the, the next question I had was I'd be interested to know how much time do you have to watch film on yourself? You know, you, I know you watch a lot of film on off of the tackles and pick up tendencies there. Do you ever go back and watch your own film? And then also, do you ever have time, maybe even in the offseason, to watch film on NFL guys? If so, who are some of your favorite guys? Um, yeah, most definitely it's the good to watch. I feel like it's good to watch yourself and see what, I guess, like Sundays or um, Mondays typically the time when I'll rewatch the game and see what I did uh, um, wrong or see what I did good so I can see what I can bring into the next week and see what I need to improve during the next week. So, um, but during the offseason, I was I was trying to watch, um, dang, I forget his name, but um, he ended up getting traded to the Raiders. Um, Unique Ngakwe. Yeah watching him so I can um, see how he set up this jump cross. and stuff. The jump cross, man. He's got the best jump cross in the NFL. Everyone brings him up for sure. Most definitely. He definitely got one of the best. So just watching him, seeing how he attacks the line, seeing his approach and his um, rush angle or, or his rush lane, I meant. And then just, I guess, obviously Aaron Donald, Bob Miller, the GOATs, obviously had that, the D-tackle edge position. Then uh, Robert Griffin. Um, then I really, I guess, during the season now, Max Crosby, he's definitely been having a great season. So just watching him, how he crafts, he has a good little arsenal of uh, moves and definitely is vicious. So um, I'm definitely been loving him so far this year. Yeah, Max, too, is another example of a guy that added a ton of weight. You know, going from Eastern Michigan to the NFL, he's added, what, 15, 20 pounds, and that's helped him develop a power move and counters off of that and all that stuff. So you adding that same weight, I mean, that's going to obviously have a big factor. Also, I think adding that weight allows you to be more versatile with the positions you play. You know, you can play along the outside, outside the tackle, or even head up inside or whatever. How is that positional versatility and being used kind of up and down the line of scrimmage at South Carolina? Playing a lot of snaps, too. I think you have some of the most snaps played of any edge defender in college football this year how has it been playing kind of multiple positions and multiple alignments for South Carolina this year I've been smooth um just I kind of I guess my whole career I kind of been playing different positions uh my freshman year I started off playing tackle then uh, my sophomore year I probably moved to the more traditional end and then last year started my first year as playing the buck position more like the outside linebacker at the end and I guess the books or whatnot. So um, it's definitely going to be smooth. And I, I guess I kind of been ready for it since I already had the uh, experience at tackle. So I already knew how to, I guess, in a sense, set up an officer, the interior officer line. So because um, that's kind of a big difference between the edge and I guess the interior. So um, just knowing how to move with them in the inside, then just, I guess, already learning how to move edge, edge rusher. So I feel like they get, do a good job with moving me around, uh, finding the mismatch in the old lineman. So just, I guess, to help my production and to help the team's success or whatnot. 
playing a lot of defensive line, obviously, at South Carolina. Before that, Pop Warner or high school, did you ever have any chances playing other positions, offense even? did you? What positions have you all played? Uh, I used to play off the tackle. Then one year, I was about to be a, a tight end. <laughs> but back in the day, like I guess uh -oh. um, it still probably is like that. But um, to be a skill position, you had to be a certain weight. And then, like, literally, like, two hours or hour before the weight for weigh-in, um, I ended up having a snack. So I was overweight <laughs> for, like, one pound. So I ended up having to play, like, off the tackle and I think DN, D tackle or something like that that year. No way. So that was my only chance. But ever since then, I've been playing off the tackle, then somewhere on the D-line. That's incredible, man. Only a couple more questions for you. I'll let you go. really appreciate the time. Um, playing in the SEC, you and you've played a ton, you've had a unique opportunity to go against a lot of talented offensive linemen. Are there any names that come to mind that, you know, you still think about, like, giving you some of the biggest challenges or having, you know, some of the best, you know, battles with in college football? Uh, I just remember uh, probably the biggest thing was probably my freshman year. Um, so I was playing D-Tiger at the time, 250. And <laughs> I guess my first wow I'm in the SEC moment or the wow I'm in the college moment was I think when we played Georgia home and just they O line just they as a whole was just massive. So I'm just looking at the boys. I'm like, mm. I'm about to strap my helmet up tonight, man. But not in it. It turned out not to be too bad as I thought. But um I think another one um was that my same same year, my freshman year versus Florida, their rights, the whole right side of their offensive line was like Six eight six seven, then like 340, 320. So I, I remember one play, it was one double team they got me with. They probably drove me back like eight yards. <laughs> That's probably the worst I got done in college. But um, that definitely took some of my pride, but I think I gained some of it back, though. Dude, that transition from 18-year-old in high school to a true freshman in the SEC is probably, especially along the, the trenches, you know, offensive or defensive line is like insane. The fact that you're even seeing, you know, PT at that point, it's just kind of absurd and getting that up to you for sure. Uh, last one for you. <laughs> it, it, it grew you, you know, it just means more. The SEC, it means more. It definitely, it's changed you. It changed you. Uh, uh, last one for you, man. I, I, like I said, appreciate the time. You know, looking ahead to the rest of the season, what team goals do you guys have right now? And then even for you, what personal goals do you have kind of in front of you that you're hoping to accomplish to close out the year? Um, honestly, uh, as any competitor, as right, any team, they want to win out. So I guess that's the ultimate goal and just win out. Go hopefully get to a nice bowl game and just win that and just hopefully the younger guys and the, the team that comes next year build upon that and do better next year, get a probably get in the playoffs, whatever that may hold us and just up in the level and just hopefully this year was just a stepping stone for the success yeah. of Coach Beamer and the South Carolina is about to have. Um, that personally just, ultimately just, I guess, set myself up for the next level, I guess, to get selected as high as possible. So, but really not trying to wor worry about that too much, just worried about my play and just honestly, just continue to practice well, continue to focus on practice and working on my craft and just getting better. And just that's going to set me up for that. So, fantastic stuff, Kingsley. I really appreciate the time. We should really appreciate jumping on the show and uh, best of luck moving forward. Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Cincinnati cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Sauce, it is fantastic to have you on the show. We have been working to get you on this podcast for a while now. You are easily one of the top cornerbacks in the country. I, I feel honored to have you on the show. Nice. Glad to be here, man. Glad to be here for sure. 
Can we open up with this? How did you get the sauce nickname? And I guess when did you start really like leaning into it? Because I, I know it happened early probably on. And then ever since then, you got the chain on right now. You got the brands coming through. How'd you get the nickname? And I guess when did you really start to lean into it? I've been leaning into it. You know, uh, that's something that my little league, my little league coach gave me when I was about six years old. So uh, I was just an elusive running back and he just gave me the name. It stuck with me all the way now. So, you know. That's what everybody know me as. That's phenomenal, man. So you played running back at a young age, and then in high school, what positions did you play? High school, I started off as a receiver. I was about 5'8", 140. Oh, uh, wow. Slot receiver, yeah, most definitely. Slot receiver, and then my junior year, like middle of my junior year, I transitioned to a corner, you know, and I just stuck with it all the way to now. Gotcha. So you were 5'8", 140 then, and now you're up to what? You're at 6'2", 195 in that range, or where are you weighing in right now? Yeah, about 200, and I'm about 6'3", 6'3", gotcha. right now. 6'3", 200. That is phenomenal size for the position you're playing, man. You've had a lot of success this year. Before I talk more about your skill set and what you're doing, I'd love to talk a lot about Luke Fickle, a guy that you know nearly single-handedly has you know really changed a program here in Cincinnati. And what he's done over the past you know four years has been incredible to see. Now the number two team in the country has developed so many talents like yourself, Myjay Sanders, Desmond Ritter, Jerome Ford, all these guys. What impact has he had on you specifically? And I guess talk to or speak to the relationship you have with Luke Fickle. Uh, he's had a great impact on me, you know, uh, I feel like he's still, he, he's a leader, you know, at an older age, you know, he's still able to, you know, relate to the young players that we have on this team. You know, he makes sure that I'm leading, that I'm leading the team. And he really helped rebuild this program, turn the program around. So uh, I really thank him for everything, all my, all my success that I have. I'd be interested to know with all the success you guys have had this season, big wins on the road against Indiana and Notre Dame. How is Fickle approaching every week to make sure you guys keep a level head? Because it's probably easy to look at Twitter and look at these things like, man, they're going to the playoff, man, they're doing big things. How does what has his you know approach been to that to keep you guys grounded and just looking to go one and zero every week? Uh, Coach Fickle, lead by example. You know what I'm saying? So. We all see him in it when it comes to the media, and he's not talking about the bigger picture. So uh, we follow those footsteps. You know, he's focused on week by week. You know, we have Navy this week, so that's what we're focused on. We're not really focused on playoffs or champ national championships or all that extra stuff, you know. We just take one week at a time, you know. Yeah, and that's the that's the right way to look at it. Another leader on this team, obviously, is Desmond Ritter, quarterback for University of Cincinnati. When I was covering the team, when Warren, Michael Warren, the running back, was still there, that I remember a press, uh, you know, a, a reporter asked him, "Hey, do you talk any trash?" And Warren said, "No, but Desmond Ritter does." I know a lot of people like Ritter and what he does on the football field. Talk to me about you know the leader Desmond Ritter has been for this team, and I guess how much he's developed over the course of his career there. He's a huge leader, you know. I feel like I helped him develop, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. uh, through this past year. And I feel like he's helped me develop, you know, since I got here. Uh, he's a huge leader. You know, he talk a lot of trash. You know, I do too. So <laughs> we really go at it in practice, you know, for sure. That, that's always a great question for defensive backs because I do feel going one-on-one -on -one as often as you do at that position, there is this mental, emotional side to it where you have to kind of talk trash. You have to offer something in that department. How have you approached that this season and how have you know, receivers reacted to kind of your game in that area? Um, I don't talk too much trash. Uh, <laughs> it was way worse on my, my sophomore year, freshman year. But I feel like <laughs> I've gained a level of respect to the point where I'm going to just show you my actions. You know, I just want to make the receiver better. You know, every time, every receiver that steps in front of me, uh, 
my job is to make them better, you know. And I've been yeah. saying that since I first got in college. And that respect, man, is obvious in the data. You know, you are not targeted a ton. Oftentimes, teams wholesale avoiding you because of the respect you've earned over the course of your career at Cincinnati. I want to also bring up, you know, Marcus Freeman. And he obviously had a significant impact on turning this defense around and developing a lot of you guys. He moves on this offseason from Cincinnati to Notre Dame, had a chance to see him and treat him with a nice loss there out there in South Bend. Before we talk about Trestle and that transition, how much did Freeman have an impact on you and I guess you know speak to his talent uh he, he he's had a huge impact on me you know he threw me in a fire when we played against UCF and that was like one of the biggest blessings of my life you know he just kept me level-headed and didn't let me get complacent uh while he was here because he knew I was getting a lot of accolades but he knew I was young at the same time so he just made sure I stayed humble you know and I got a lot of respect for him did you have an opportunity to talk to him after the game, uh, you know, on the field when uh, it was all said and done there in South Bend? No, I have, I have an opportunity to talk to him. Gotcha. Probably too busy celebrating. That was a massive one, a fun one at that. Um, getting back to your game, I'd love to hear, you know, how much you feel – what areas of your game you feel like you've improved the most? You know, I think you're one of the more physical cornerbacks in the country, a great tackler, great, you know, ball skills. But what do you feel like you've improved the most, you know, in the years you've been at Cincinnati? Um, being more patient at the line of scrimmage, you know, knowing when to shoot my hands. But, like, all in all, I feel like I'm one of them corners every year since I've been to college. I've, I've got better at everything, you know, as far as footwork, physicality, speed, tackling. I feel like uh, I've enhanced everything like every year since I've been to college. So I don't need like I kept elevating since I've been to college. What has your approach been like in the film room and how has that changed over the years? What are you currently you know, prioritizing when you turn on an opposing receiver's film before a big game? Uh, their tendencies as far as like what foot they have on the ball, uh, when they're, you know, taking the inside release, when they're taking the outside release, but that's a big thanks to my corner, my cornerback coach, Coach Eliano. You know, we're not like a one-dimensional room. Like he makes sure we know what everybody does on the field. D lineman, uh, he makes us get on the get on the board, you know, and draw up the defenses, draw up the offense, you know. So he's been a real blessing uh, and a real like he's really been there for me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's helped my game a lot. That is fantastic to hear, man, to have someone in your corner already helping you in that regard. A couple more questions for you, Amon, and I'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. Looking ahead to the rest of this season, do you have any goals set out for yourself? I know team goals are obvious. You want to win every single football game all the way to the end here. But for yourself specifically, are there things uh, top of mind for you set as accomplishments or goals that you're chasing? Uh, the Jim Thorpe Award, you know, that's been my goal, my uh, individual goal since I was a freshman, you know. And yeah, that's the main one as far as like an individual go. That's the main one. Gotcha, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, Sauce. This has been fantastic. It's great to get you on the show. We'll have to get you back on in the offseason when this thing's all set and done. You guys are holding up the, uh, the college football playoff trophy there. Thanks. Appreciate you. That's going to do it for the Thursday edition of Tailgate. What a fantastic show. Please keep sending in your mailbag questions, either following PFF Tailgate on Twitter and sending them via DM or doing it on Apple Podcasts. We'll definitely prioritize the Apple Podcasts. Those rates and reviews help us a ton. You can also help the pod by purchasing some of the gear. Every hat purchased, every shirt purchased, I'm donating $3 to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and also use promo code TAILGATE on PFF.com for 25% off any subscription. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, the producers, Stone Rochelle, Mike Quinn, David Zafaro, Max Chadwick, Tailgate. <laughs>